Hey, did any of you guys hunt Easter eggs when you were kids? Yeah, some of you did already. Yeah, still do. That's smart. You never know what's going to be in there, right? You know, we did as a kid, and uh, I mean, the focus of our Easter weekend, I was raised in a wonderful Christian home, and so church was the big deal. But hey, we had fun with these kind of things as well. And so we had Easter eggs, and they all contained wonderful little things on the inside. And uh, sometimes we got things, and I'm a kind of a sports guy, so we would get things that would represent our favorite sports team. This is the Miami Dolphins. And so I would get stuff like that, and you're thinking, okay, this guy, right? But then there'd be other things that I would get too, and uh, these were really fun. These are the ones that you got real excited about. Money. And so you'd, yeah, I hear that. Yeah, so you get a little bit of money sometimes and you're thinking, man, I have scored, that is perfect. And sometimes you would get little toys. In this case, is a little rubber ducky. And uh, I mean, you know, that's, that's okay. But uh, chocolate bunny was great. A chocolate bunny will not fit in this egg. But chocolate kisses do. Beautiful. Now, if y'all knew me, y'all know me well, uh, it'd be chips and queso, it'd be for me. This, but that doesn't fit either. But didn't you always, or we did, we always had the prize egg, the thing that if you were able to find it, then that was a big deal. I'll come back to that a little bit later. Did you know that there is um, an old saying that says, don't put all your eggs in one basket. And that basically means diversify, right? You don't want to do that because if you were to drop the basket and it broke, then you'd lose everything, right? Mark Twain once said, the fool has said, don't put all your eggs in one basket. The wise man has said, put all your eggs in one basket and watch that basket. (laughs) Do you know as Christians, that's really what we've done? We put all of our hope, all of our future, everything from this life and eternity. The hope of seeing those who have gone before us, we put it all in one basket. And that is the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, the Apostle Paul, I'll kind of move this down for now. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this statement we've heard and probably heard many times on Resurrection Sunday, but he makes this statement, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But, verse 20, in fact, Christ has been raised from the days dead, the firstborn of those who have fallen asleep. As Christians, everything hinges on the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And really, what separates someone who is a Christian and may not be is the fact that Christ has risen and we embrace that. Do we understand every detail of it? No. But what we understand is that the tomb is empty. And because of that, we have new life in Jesus Christ. Now, I want us to look at the story. We've been studying the book of Mark for many, many weeks. So we're going to look at uh, an account of Mark as he talks about Resurrection Sunday. If you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 16, we're going to go through these verses that tell us about what's going on. Uh, Throughout the week, we've caught up to this moment. So here we are, Easter Sunday. We made it. 
Mark chapter 16, verse 1. It's what God's word says. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary and the mother of Jesus, our mother of James and Salome brought spices so they might go and anoint him, Jesus, obviously. And very early in the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Now, make no mistake, they knew which tomb it was. They knew that Jesus was crucified. They knew that there was a tomb in which Jesus' body was laid. And so they had decided on the first morning, which is Sunday, that they would go anoint the body. Now, here's the question, though. It says here, who will roll the stone away? I'm not gonna ask you this. I said it in the first service and no one knew the answer. So I'm gonna let you chew on this for a little bit. Who rolled the stone in front of the tomb? If you look in Matthew and Mark, it says that Joseph of Arimathea did. Joseph rolled the stone in front of the tomb. Now the guards were there and they sealed it and they made sure nobody would go and open that tomb. But Joseph of Arimathea rolled the stone in front of the tomb. And so maybe they showed up that morning thinking, well, maybe Joseph will meet us here. I mean, that's a big stone. Not so sure I can roll that. But, but if Joseph was here, I mean, he's the one who put the stone there. Maybe he can do it as well. But then it says, and looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. Great news. I mean, obviously they expected to get inside the tomb because they brought spices for that purpose. And so great the stone's been rolled away. And so they were able to look. And at that moment, nothing was a big deal so far. I mean, that stone was rolled in place. Now the stone is rolled away. But then here's what happens. Verse five, and entering the tomb with these spices, expecting to see Jesus wrapped in these cloths. That's exactly what they expected. It says, they saw a young man sitting on the right side dressed in white robe and they were alarmed. That's an understatement. Of course they were alarmed. I would be too. They were expecting to see dead Jesus. The only way to know how to say it. And instead, they saw an angel. That's crazy. And then he said to them, don't be alarmed. That's <laughs> so funny. Sure, okay, yeah, I'm good then. He said to them, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. They knew that. But then here's the statement that brings us such joy. He is risen. He is not here. Isn't that great news for us? Because of that fact, it changes everything. Because Christ has risen, we can have life. We can have new life in him, according to scripture. So they showed up. They expected to go inside the tomb and find Jesus, but instead the stone was rolled away and they were able to see that the tomb was empty, except for this angel that was hanging out. And he tells them exactly what happened. But I want you to see something I think is important. It says, see the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee, there you will see him just as he told you. Now, I wanna make sure we understand, Jesus was very clear the instructions to his disciples that after he was crucified and after he was buried, that once he was raised from the dead, he would meet them in Galilee. If you look in Mark 14, we covered this a few weeks ago, verse 27, Jesus said to them, 
you will fall away for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Where are they supposed to go? Matthew tells us in Matthew chapter 28, an angel says to the ladies who are visiting the tomb, verse seven, then go quickly, tell his disciples that he's raised from the dead and behold, he is going before you to Galilee and there you will see him. See, I have told you. And so they're perplexed. And then Jesus shows up and says, verse 10, Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. And what do the disciples do? They didn't go to Galilee. I mean, don't you think it's clear what he said to do? Go to Galilee, I'll see you there. Go to Galilee. But they didn't. You know, I think about it. Why, why Galilee? Think about this. Galilee is that place where they first met Jesus. They went fishing together. Jesus walked on water. He fed the 5,000. Oh yeah, there were some bumps along the road, but man, Galilee, <laughs> great memories. Do you have a place like that? A place that just gives you great memories. Christy uh, makes fun of me sometimes, my wife. When I go to Houston, I drive by the old house. Any of y'all do that? Drive by the old house where I was raised and man, it brings back such memory. It looks nothing like it did a few years ago. But it is, it's so funny to go and all the trees are much larger. I see this tree over here that I used to climb and fall out of. Next to it, we had uh, 10 acres. It wasn't ours but we didn't care back in the day. But there were 10 acres next to us and we would jump the fence and ride motorcycles and play and have so much fun with my friends. Great, great memories. When I think about that place, it brings back memories. And Galilee would be that kind of place for the disciples. Maybe that's why he told them to go to Galilee. But what's interesting is, is the disciples did not do that. They stayed in Jerusalem. But here's the thing about Jerusalem. What happened over the last few days? Jesus, their savior, was betrayed. They had a false trial all through the night. He was beaten and he was crucified. You see, Jerusalem, the last memories there were not so good. It was a place of death. It was a place of uncertainty and it's the place where they scattered. So maybe he told them to go to Galilee for the great memory, not to hold on to that bad last few days. But you know what the disciples did? If you look in Luke chapter 24, that afternoon, so this is Easter afternoon, these two men are walking down the road. They had been to Jerusalem. They had seen what had happened. And then Jesus appears to them on the road home and verse 33 said, after they met Jesus, they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and those who were gathered together. Jesus clearly said, go to Galilee. The disciples clearly did not. Why? Why did they stay in Jerusalem? Thankfully, we don't have to guess. Because in John chapter 20, we see the words written of after Christ had been risen from the dead. 
Verse 19 says this is the evening. So this is the evening of that day that Jesus was raised. So on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. The reason the disciples were locked behind closed doors in Jerusalem is because they were afraid. They had no clue what was gonna happen. They were not sure what had happened to the body. They were not certain he had been raised from the dead. I'll say this, they knew that if they stood up for Jesus, it could cost their life as well. And so because of fear, they did not obey. Because of fear of what might happen in the world to them, they did not do what he clearly told them to do. Isn't that something? I'm glad we never do that. We do, don't we? Sometimes we're afraid maybe of what someone will think. We're afraid of what could be said. We're afraid if we stand up for that truth that is not very popular in our culture today, then we're gonna be criticized and called a hater, right? We're familiar. But that's not the only reason they stayed in Jerusalem. Luke gives us a little more insight. In fact, Jesus, so Jesus shows up and this statement he makes to them, so this is in Luke chapter 24, verse 38, as Jesus stood before them, and I'll get to that back in John chapter 20 because that'll be more of the detail. But verse 38, Jesus said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? This word for troubled is not used regularly in the New Testament, but this talks about being uneasy. They had a churning in their stomach. They just weren't sure what, were going, what was going on. And so they just felt uneasy about the situation. But then it says that they had doubts arise. And that word means that they had this conversation in their head. Anyone but me talk to themselves in their head and actually answer back, I do. But you have that talking in your head. That's what was going on. So these disciples, not only were they afraid but they were uneasy about what was going on. And then they had these questions in their head and they kept going back and forth. Is he alive? Is he not? If he is, what does this mean? What are we to do? Well, I can tell you what you're supposed to do. Go to Galilee. I mean, clearly that's what he said. But this is the beautiful part of the story. Check this out. Back in John chapter 20. So, very clearly, Jesus told them, meet me in Galilee. They did not. Instead, they went to Jerusalem. And they were locked up behind closed doors out of fear. They were uneasy. And they were doubting. Ever been there? It happens. And it happens to these men who were followers of Jesus. These aren't lost people. These are Christians who struggle with doing what God said to do. They're afraid. What the world may say, they were uneasy in their hearts and they doubted. But check this out. Let me ask again, where did Jesus say he would meet them? Galilee, look at John 20, 
verse 19 again. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Hmm. Didn't Jesus say go to Galilee? And they didn't. So Jesus changed his mind. You know, that's all right, guys. No. He shows up in Jerusalem. This is personal for me. I hope it is for you. Listen, in the middle of their doubt, their fear, their uncertainty, Jesus showed up right where they are. Whatever was going on in their minds and in their life, Jesus showed up. And that is great news for us. Jesus will meet us right where we are. Whatever brought you to where you are today, whatever's going on in your life, if it's a struggle, if it's a doubt, if it's a fear, if it's just burdens that are too heavy, Jesus will meet you right where you are. But he'll also give you everything you need to go where he wants you to go. He, as you will see, did not say, you know what, guys, that's all right. Just stay here in Jerusalem. No. Instead, he gave them what they needed to get from here to here. Listen to this. When he had said this, verse 20, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. They needed that nudge because they were stuck just like we can be sometimes in our Christian life. Perhaps you feel that way today. Man, I, and I remember back in the day, maybe we're stuck because of fear, our doubt, our uneasiness, concern, afraid of what the world may say, or maybe we've just gotten our priorities mixed up. I wanna tell you, there's so much more God has for us. And he doesn't want us to be stuck in Jerusalem. Instead, he wants us to go to Galilee check it out. They finally made it there. If you look in Matthew chapter 28, they finally made it to Galilee. Verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Yay, finally to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Okay, don't worry at that moment. Most scholars would say that that last part is for those who were gathered who weren't the disciples who just saw him. So these are other people that were around and went, wait, you guys said he's alive. Wait, is that really him? The disciples at that moment when they had saw him, when they finally made it to Galilee, they were there and they worshiped him. Whatever caused them to be afraid and stuck in Jerusalem, God gave them what they needed to get to where he wanted them to be. And it's true for us too. And I'll tell you, if we will just let God do what he wants to do in our lives, we'll find so much more life. In Galilee, for them and hopefully for us, that's where our hearts can be refreshed. 
Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 5, cast all your cares on him, all your burdens on him because he cares for you. Do you have a burden? Do you have a burden that's too heavy? A burden for your family, for yourself? That burden that is heavy was not intended for you to carry. It's for you to give to the Lord. Why? Because he cares for you. He cared enough to meet you right where you are today. So you can have that heart refreshed today by simply obeying what he said to do. For some, we need our courage rekindled. Young Timothy, who's a young preacher, got a little nervous about his ministry. And it says here in 2 Timothy 1, for the reason, verse six, for the reason I remind you to fan the flame of the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, of love and self-control. Maybe there are those of us who need that courage again. I remember when I first came to Christ, when I was, well, it was a long time ago. I was 16 years old. Man, I was passionate about telling people. I could, I could have told a telephone pole or a tree about Jesus. I was ready. But then something happened where it just, my passion sort of faded. Maybe that's happened to you. Man, you remember that day, that moment, like the disciples when they met him in Galilee, but life happened. I pray that our courage will be rekindled because we've met with him. The last thing I wanna mention, so our hearts can be refreshed our courage can be rekindled and our hope can be restored. And so we go back to where we started in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But here's the hope. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Whatever goes on in our world, as challenging as things may be, we can be confident that we have hope. So what do you think? Do we stay where we are? Do we stay locked up in bondage as they were in Jerusalem behind locked doors? Or are we ready to release those burdens to him? Are we ready to have our hearts restored? To have that courage rekindled? find that hope in him so we put our hope in a lot of stuff sometimes we want life to be sweet <laughs> if I can only be happy I just want to be happy and that becomes our God instead of God I just want to be happy oh the toys of this world just gather more. It proves empty every time. Well, I just need a little bit more. Here's some more money right here. I chase that. Set aside other things. I'm working too much, don't have time for God. Working too much, don't have time for my family. But I got to make ends meet. And that can become our God. And we value that. Or it's, man, if I could just get my kid on that team or in that school, or, and that becomes our God. Empty, 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 empty. Every one of them, empty. There's a prize though that God has for us.
I read a story this week about a um, third grade teacher. She had decided it was springtime and she decided that she was gonna get all of her kids to go out and think of what it means to have joy in the springtime. And she gave them all little plastic eggs and said, I want you to go out and find something that represents new life. And so these third grade kids, they ran outside and they're finding all of these different things. Well, they come back in and they put everything on the floor just right in front of her. They're all sitting down on the ground. And so she opens the first egg and it's a flower. And she said, whoa, that is perfect. A flower represents new life. What else? And she opens another one and it's a leaf. Yes, that is new life. She opens a few more and finds different things in there. And then she opens one and it's a butterfly and it just flutters up. And she said, yes, that is a picture of new life. She did a few more and then she opened one and it was empty. And she said, did someone forget to put something in here? And this little boy said, no, it's empty. Just like Jesus's tomb is empty. See, that's hope. We have hope, not in anything we can accomplish in ourselves, not in what we can gain or worship, We have hope in the prize. It's empty, just like the tomb is empty. That is the prize of life, that we worship a savior who made his tomb empty for you and for me.